That's really good. Mm-hmm. So snappy. It's clean. The good, Much good. snap. The new? Wow. <laughs> Did I die? Uh, what year is it? Where am I? What's my motivation? What is my motivation? <laughs> I don't ask that question. What that dick do? <laughs> what that means. <laughs> what that is. Show me how them tits fart. And that's a clip, Michael. <laughs> In a quarter of a mile, turn left. Uh, I heard that Shane and Michael have been colluding and talking about the lack of horns and levity in the beats that I make for this show. <laughs> um, huh? These are unsubstantiated claims. With you in the room, <laughs> you, you drunk not. fuck. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't think that's a collusion. <laughs> that's called courtesy. Uh, I know you've never experienced I it sent... before in a Catholic home, but it's, it's a thing. I sent, I sent the beat. I said... Tell me what samples you guys want, or what do you think? Oh, I forgot. <laughs> and then Shane was over because uh, we were doing some rehearsals in the in this office. <laughs> it's like, what do you think about it? He's like, oh, you know, me and Michael were talking, and you know, you make it sound like we're such a somber little podcast. You couldn't couldn't have the good sense to throw some fucking horns in it to make it sound happy or something or more jovial. <laughs> It's like, I understand, like, there is something very meta about a funeral dirge at the end of a fucking comedy (laughs) podcast. I I understand why you feel compelled to do so, because I mourn every single time I have to get off the line with you people. Me too. Wait, can can I have a kazoo solo in the next (gasps) um, beat you put together? Bring it over, sis. Let's do it. It's like, I'm afraid I've seen a better kazoo player as of, like, 24 hours ago, so... For real, though. Uh, which is funny that you, you bring up last night. <laughs> oh, no. So, we're all sitting, so it was a, a, a duo show instead of, like, the usual, like, three hours that we play. We split it in half with uh, my other co-worker's band, and that's the kazoo player uh, that, that Shane's mentioning is his bandmate. Uh, and she's so... She's cute, she's adorable, and she is actually a very, very good uh, kazoo player. <laughs> Have you ever seen a professional? She knows how to work that slide whistle, if you know what I mean. I was, oh. I was so terrified of where that sentence was going to wind up. I, I was like, "Hey, she I can could... suck a cock like a champion." <laughs> Man, I can feel your butthole puckering. I could feel the tension. I was like, "I should add some more filler on this." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I was so taken we're... on a journey I didn't want to be on. They went on first, and we uh, we set up and you know effectively have like an hour and some changes to kill. So we're eating food and having drinks, catching up with people that that were there do you have and a mouse in your pocket do i what what we are you referring to we the band which we <laughs> we, the we, band. we oh my god i hate you because oh, i we, wasn't there we, the band i don't is remember my new this solo project. yes you were you were sitting at the table with melissa <laughs> pronouns um, pal <laughs> and bad artist jesse and her lovely husband were, were hanging out and he fucked off to go do something on the other side of the store and we're all talking and catching up and then suddenly shane is nudging Jesse going, your your husband wants you, and we look across the whole building, and he's uh, her husband standing at the register, and he's making the eyes like, "Hey, come over here," and she goes, "Me," and he shakes his head no, and he points again, and then Shane very somberly, weirdly says to me, "I think he wants you, John." <laughs> <And> <laughs> you're you're misremembering this story already because I I did not 
take part in any of this. Yes, you did. You pointed no, it out. No, Jesse is the one who said, no, I think he wants you. Oh, whatever. So, but, so I'm walking over and I'm like, I'm not working today. So if you have a question about like beer, like, I why, what are you doing? He calls me over and we go over to where the merch area is. And the, the gentleman's not the tallest individual in the world. And he points up to a shelf out of his reach. And there's a hydro flask. And he called me all the way over from the opposite <laughs> side of the bar so that I could use my tall arms to grab him a fucking hydro flask off of a shelf. And it was the funniest shit that that's happened to me in that situation. Like, that's happenstance. Mm-hmm. You know? So we've learned that John is a geefle. What's that? What that is. He used his noodly appendages to save um, uh, the day. Back in the day on Sesame Street, there was this whole segment about geefles and gonks. The gonks have like tiny little reptilian T-Rex hands, and the geefles have very long arms, but they can't bend them. They can't bring them down. And so the geefles would knock fruit out of the trees for the gonks to procure, and then the gonks would feed the geefles. So... Look at you being a being a bro. You Happy knocked to... the hydro flask out off the the shelf, uh-huh. so he dropped could... it right on his foot. <laughs> I I pleased to aim. Yep. I I also like that you're shaking your head at me when you feel so inclined as to emasculate Jess's you know vertically challenged <laughs> husband on this show. <laughs> Oof. We stand thought... a short king on this show, okay? I just thought it was just a funny setup to like. Why could I possibly be being like called over all the way across the bar? I just did it, it tickled yeah. me. Yeah, I don't know he why even, anyone would want your assistance. I I you was me? laughing when he. Po- I mean, always, especially if you've been uh, transitioned. Um, <laughs> Call back. Yeah, it's on the after dark. I'm not being yeah. sensitive. Just look at that read a book. And speaking of transitioning, Heil come slingers and welcome. Ooh. To another stirring installment of the Disinformed Podcast. I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm Michael. I'm Courtney. That's what John thinks I sound like. (laughs) My name's Courtney. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Courtney. Oh, boy. I'm Courtney. I bake cookies and I have a cute pug and my husband's a fucking dreamboat. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, which one was the lie, guys? Pick it out. (laughs) Definitely not the pug. And that's the way we podcast play in the merry old land of... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yes you were you were most sorely missed last week because i just had to listen to one bad falsetto after another (laughs) i could tell i think i was mentioned more times on last week's episode than i talk on a regular episode Mm -hmm. you just bring so much to the table i know just your presence Quite literally because uh, is... i've had many marvelous meals at your effort so true including the ramen Ooh. my religious dish ramen. anywho yes uh so i we, we will finally recover and no she didn't leave permanently friends <laughs> until next just, week it was yes yokes no yes, i went yes. uh it was really cool actually i went to a live recording of another podcast so sorry I cheated on you. Betrayal. It's all right. I'm so, used to it. Yeah, so <laughs> I that was where I was going to. Uh, what podcast? It's an open relationship with this podcast. 
Um, so it's the moth. Um, so it's a live storytelling event. And then basically they take the best stories and those ones make it on the podcast. And it was a lot of fun. And I highly recommend going next time they're in town. I think we should all go together yeah, when sure. they're back in January. Okay. I love February. Manchester Orchestra. I'm all about it. Same. Perfect. I prefer the alien, but I mean, the moth's great. Well, what the hell are we going to do? Well, we are a black mile to the surface. Well, I'm, I'm trying yeah. to inject more pregnant pauses because, uh, shockingly, and I'm happy to report this, Michael surprised the fuck out of me last week. By cutting all the pauses out of the episode? Uh, oh, no, you didn't cut any pauses out of the what? episode. No, You're I a did. shitty editor, I but you are very did. funny. <laughs> Because uh, you cracked some jokes last week that oh actually God. managed to make me laugh, and that is just same. Shock nearly killed me. I'm God getting too it. old for you to do that to my heart, Michael. So <laughs> please, consistency—that's all I ask for. Uh, all right, I'll go back to not telling any useful jokes. <laughs> no, like, I also say that. Great. Uh, I've I have two housekeeping things now, Michael. Were any of your jokes pre-written? No. Wow, good job. I didn't present yesterday <laughs> or last week. Whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, you didn't present yesterday. You I weren't present yesterday. Present I didn't yesterday, see you. Yes. <laughs> also, um, I fucked myself out of my first lie. And when I uh, when I was screening it, I, I heard it. And I, I hate myself more than I than I did last week. So, yeah, I, I, I did say Cedar Rapids. I did deliver the uh-huh. lie. I just forgot that I did the lie. Yeah, see, so, even when you do it right, you do it wrong. Right, but, but like Google we're saying, Doc, bro. No wrong. Like Not we're right. saying wrong. before roll. Like we're saying before roll. Uh, you guys are really just tearing me apart through attrition. It's how you learn. <laughs> <laughs> Rub the Doc's you... face in its own shit. It no, I would say that John has been conditioned to appropriately address this show. And I will say that is because you had to make up for a windfall of me being a stammering jackass last week. On top of all of everything in my entire, like, you know, repertoire here completely just breaking down on me within the course of, like, a 48-hour period. I think what you're really trying to get at is that Courtney is the anchor. Almost certainly. Yeah, so she leaves and we all fall apart because there's only so much that I can talk about beef jerky and pussy, if you know what I mean. I mean, I was just saying, I... I, God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I, I occasionally, I'm not funny. What? I, I will what? admit. No. I do Bullshit. miss the ball from That's time to time. Bullshit. Pretty when upset it... <laughs> at myself for last week, so I we're we're gonna have some redemption today. Oh. Well, I'm glad that you said that because now we can start to heal. Coming in yes. hot. And by ah, heal, you mean I'm gonna I'm gonna turn against the baby faces I was formerly on a team with and like hit you with a chair or something? Sure. Yep. Is that a reference? This the Dewan is gonna laugh at all of my wrestling jokes. You know, when he listens to this eight years from now. He's gonna appreciate <laughs> gonna these say, jokes. He's not listening. <laughs> he's too busy working at a rad brewery right now. Oh, did he get that job? He did. Oh, Congratulations, right. Dewan, when you eventually listen to this. That's awesome. Congratulations. I don't know the context, but congratulations. Radmobile. Way to be a hype man. Woo! What do you got? Woo. What do you got today, Shane? What do I have you today, John? You wouldn't tell me. Yeah, I, I, I can be coy from time to time. You mean you didn't post it like a thousand times on the chat before, uh, before you know, this recording? No, and I also didn't include it in the spreadsheet 
uh, of all of our listed <laughs> episodes is, by title there. I, I didn't do that. <laughs> so, uh, Actually, now I've got to check and see. If I could just screen, just screen cap. Uh, no, I absolutely did. Uh, I'm, I try to you know, adjust Aha! the algorithm <laughs> every once in a while. Oh, my God, guys. I just remembered that it's Wednesday, which means... What? You guys, this After Dark came out, which means I can post the ta- the picture of Corey Taylor Lautner on our Instagram. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> How disgustingly delightful. I'm and so speaking excited. Of di- oh, speaking of washboard abs that we can mm. just uh, wash all the sin out of ourselves mm. with. Uh, Team Jacob. Ooh. <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> Fucking kill like me, water Michael. Water for elephants. Get out of here. <laughs> As, as long as you didn't say ooh-woo, I'm fine. <laughs> I've had enough of that shit. I almost texted that into the group the other day, and I figured enough time hadn't passed for that wound to have healed. <laughs> we haven't fully recovered from that. Yeah, that trauma is going to be otherwise. enduring. Uh, notice those six-pack abs. Ooh. No ooh-woo. No, no. Just ooh. Oh, man. Anyway, (laughs) so other than disgusting people into asexuality, what we usually do on this show is we'll delve into a random esoteric topic, and in the course of explaining it, we will leaven in the occasional lie just to make things interesting. That is the shtick, and it's a lot of fun, but we do not let you leave misinformed, as it were. We will have a little denouement at the end of the episode where we'll explain where we went awry. So... This week, we are going to discuss something that is very near and dear to my heart, and I hope that uh, in the line of all of the shared enthusiasm we have had for topics in the last little while, this gets to be Shane's week to be a a puppy let off the leash. Yay! Okay. By all means. Be free! (laughs) You don't want me to do that. No, I don't have, have plastic more... down on the floors. So. I was going to oh, say, no. when, when you let Shane free, Michael has a busier editing week. Indeed. <laughs> oh, shit, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I was half expecting you to just drop a slur right there. I, I was contemplating <laughs> it, but I, I'm all about subverting expectations these days. Thank so. you, please. Um, What what were you going to say, you mick bastard? So, in order to (laughs) properly uh, seeg for Michael, just so I can translate in advance, but uh, for me to Sigourney segue us into the topic, I have a question for you, John. Fuck. Oh, no. As someone who who knows me the longest, and no, it's not going to have the word addiction in it at all, I promise. (laughs) Or or pretension. Uh, What was the first thing that you noticed... Other than my thick ass, when you walked into my home for the first time, your large hog. <laughs> Listen, he's my only means of conveyance. I know I do spoil him, but uh, you know, I'm I like sorry, you laid it on a silver platter. How could I? How could I refuse? And I put an apple in its mouth. That's the appropriate um, way to do oh suckling. God. Pig, oh, now you I'm dumb picture- fuck. Oh, oh, that seems painful. Uh. Two two way tie. Um, but I think what you're aiming at is your just enormous, just gargantuan, profound DVD and media collection, but also tied mm-hmm. with your big framed poster of seven. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and both are essentially just subdivisions of the exact same city, exactly. thankfully. Yeah. But uh, And also, bless you, because I think I tried... You and I have talked about being psychically linked on this show. I was channeling the word gargantuan into your brain. 
because you just so rarely have the opportunity to use it in a sentence. I know. It was nice. It felt good on the whole. So yeah. <laughs> I am an absolute goon for cinema, and I think this has been documented. I got a job working in Tower Records. Not so that I could get music readily. That was a nice sort of like fringe benefit. But I was there to get movies on the cheap. And that is uh, essentially just the bulk of my life. So I have got an inordinate supply of physical media. I'm one of those old geriatrics that insists I still need to have it for when the world ends. So I have my entertainment bunker readily established so when the dome comes down, I don't have to worry about being one of the ants. I can just entertain myself with a store of spam and some movies. I have heard that that analogy and the metaphor that you use for that a hundred different ways now. I think when I first <laughs> met you, you were talking about like a zombie apocalypse. You used mm-hmm. COVID last year of like, see, this is why. Uh- <laughs> the Book of Eli. That's it, another. Yeah, Eli. it's, you know. Many under the Dome is my favorite iteration of your description of it so far. I, I have to evolve from time to time. But uh, this evening, I'm going to dovetail slightly to get us back to where we are in the present day. Because we are on the verge of another... Uh, another. We're on the verge <laughs> of another revolution occurring at the present. And this is sort of highlighted by Denis Villeneuve's very angry and public argument with Warner Brothers about releasing Dune as a straight media streamable and not allowing it to stay in the sainted halls of the cinema, which is something that I know that you and I are both pretty precious about as well. But I thought the reason that that stayed in place is because he signed a contract when COVID fucked everything up Mm -hmm. and it's something that HBO and was it exclusively Warner Bros with HBO? That mm-hmm. made the contract of the the year of programming that they had planned would all immediately go to streamables because they didn't mm-hmm. know when theater attendance would be allowed again. Exactly, but he was still very upset regardless oh, yeah. because I mean, he and, felt like Nolan it's not both. the uh, yeah it's not the appropriate format for films with with Tenant Christopher Nolan and I I agree with it like just because of when it was released is why it didn't perform in the mm-hmm. box office. I think the movie's well, fantastic. Yeah. And I think, oh, it's amazing. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. if if things would have just not happened the way they did, that it would have been just as big as any of his other releases. Yeah. So uh, this is all wonderful groundwork for the discussion that we are going to have subsequently. But I will tell you up front that we have six lies in the offing, as per usual. This is my normal number these days, as Jess pointed out. (laughs) Good goddamn. But uh, allow the Kevin Smith of this podcast to proceed with my normal foray. Let's talk about television. (gasps) Yay! The fabled idiot box has existed as the anchor of American society for nearly the entirety of its 100-year existence. Uh, It was originally created in 1927 and released to the general public. With that said, there is another device which, for a time at least, rivaled if not superseded the television's importance in the hallowed halls of the American home, or at the very least its legal system, and that is the VTR or VCR, the videotape or cassette recorder. So in a world dominated by super sleek aesthetics, the tracking lines, dull colors, and grainy images of the video cassette still offer a marketable appeal for those interested in vigorously smashing that nostalgia button. Also, now it's used as a filter that e-girls use to get people aroused. 
uh, you're channeling my mental state here, my friend, <laughs> because it's it's winging your way. Was well, was the TV that early? Yes. I, okay. It's I, bizarre. I, know that... I was shocked as well. <laughs> yeah, because and... I knew that again, like nationwide appeal like after <clears throat> after the world war ii because mm-hmm. the 50s has like that that's when a lot of the original programming came out like leave it to beaver and yeah and andy griffith show and and a lot of those other things ones. that you still jerk it to of course well no not leave it to beaver <laughs> not leave it to beaver yeah he's expanded <laughs> to asshole now Andy Griffith, though. Michael, that his, was his, his quality, words, Shane. Don't let them Ooh. rob you. Not I Love Lucy. She was a, she was a sloot. We're uh, anyway, enough. continue. So, <laughs> I think what you'll discover, Michael, is that similar to what we're going to encounter later on with this, um, affordability is a problem with the television. That's what I was thinking. When originally released. That was okay. just not something that the average folks... I mean, there were folks that still didn't have radios in their homes in the yeah. 20s. I mean, yeah. they were going through a bit of an issue at the time. <laughs> so. <laughs> Anywho, while the last remaining VCR manufacturer ceased production in 2016, which is far longer than I would have expected. Wow. But, uh, a slew of apps are still currently available to allow one to shoot VHS-style videos on your smartphone or tablet of choice, as John in- intimated there for folks to fap it to. That actually Ma- is a new... Uh, sorry, I'm going to interrupt just because... Please, I, I, I want like you to. This is actually a, a new kind of uh, horror genre that, I, that I've been getting into that I almost wrote an episode on. Uh, Streamers or the Analog they Horror? Uh-huh. What? Mm. Sorry. I don't know what you said. It was probably offensive. So uh, it, it's called Analog Horror. 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 Horrors. Horror. Horror. Analog Horrors. Horrors. Got it. Um, but it's the idea that it's supposed to be like uh, um, a horror-esque uh, genre that is based off of found footage, mm-hmm. um, like cassette tapes. Like taking right. You're talking about the, the VHS the anthology. And- yes. 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 Yeah. Exactly. Or the Magnus Archives, which is all supposed to be on cassette tapes. True. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that sort of nostalgia esque thing, uh, but projecting it onto a lot of like um, older recordings of things like, oh, I found these tapes in my dad's attic or something like that. And I'm going to go through them, post them on YouTube. That mm-hmm. that kind of like vibe or something like that or like recordings of, oh, what happens when um, the elephants attack? No, no. <laughs> No, I, at the end of a broadcast day, what happens when there's nothing going on? What's the uh-huh. white noise? That sort of vest. Right. So uh, that that has been actually it's been getting a lot more popular. Um, definitely starting with the pandemic because people don't know what to do with their lives, uh, and so it's it's been interesting following that train. I think especially I might try and do an episode of that now, considering how popular it has been. Uh, there's been like a new YouTube channel every like every other day i mean i feel like you're doing it now so yeah i'll 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 give you another five minutes and you can (laughs) work a lie in i'm done i'm done i i just no. i appreciate your enthusiasm no we're we're kind of tracking in the same direction so yeah (laughs) to your point mammoth vhs style boxes as well despite their bulk still act as hallmarks of retro chic marketing for shows like 
of course, the insanely popular Netflix series Stranger Things, which if you see their home release boxes, they're all in giant old school VHS. <laughs> of course they are. <laughs> uh, and that, of course, proves that sentimentality is a coin of great worth in the coffers of creative commerce. After all, for survivors of the infamous 80s, like myself, these little black boxes and cartridges were the catalyst for a revolution in the realm of entertainment. Now, I realize I am talking to folks who were not, like, you were at the tail end of the VHS existence, essentially, right as we started trending out. So you probably had them, but not in grand proliferation. What? I had boxes. No, I, I definitely had boxes. Um, my, oh, my I had boxes. A bit behind <laughs> I had boxes. I slept Boxes in them. of the VHSs, just swimming in them. Um, my parents were fairly behind the times in terms of that sort of media. Oh, so okay. they had a lot of boxes of VHS. Holy <laughs> and, and it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all, it all comes back to the boxes. Fuck, did you live in Hoboken or? <laughs> I was never happier to die out there. Indeed. Um, you were in a hobo camp, I think. It's different, but. True. Very nice. But yeah, no, no, I definitely have okay. my fair share of Well, VHSs. then I'm glad we can commiserate over this, because yeah. in case I haven't told you all, the job that my mom had immediately after I was born, probably when, since I was like three or four, she ran a, a video store. So oh. young Shane was thrown onto a chair in the back of the store. She would pop in a VHS and give me a Snickers bar Bullshit. and just allow me to marinate. No, I'm not, I'm not kidding. That is my mom's job when I was younger. Sounds and that like was your first job. A, yeah, it sounds like a setup to a Ronald Dahl story. It is not. And it's also <laughs> why I think I have that weird kinship with Tarantino that I do, because we are both kind of products of the video store revolution. <laughs> So it's the something golden that, VHS. It's very fair. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> so, why are we, and myself personally, still discussing VHS at all in an era awash with modern conveniences like digital video streamed to a handheld electronic device? Well, let's dive into our DeLorean and take a dip back to our not-so-distant past, shall we? Michael, what year is it? Is Nixon still president? Is Nixon still? He's not. Was a thing at that time? I can't. I don't know. In the 1980s, one item had pride of place in households around the world. The VCR. Individuals of all ages spent their evenings in front of the old boob tube, which radiated an aura of magic and awe it had not known since television programming first transitioned into color. Shane, can I ask a question real quick? It's you not, may. It's not a bullshit. It's just, why is it, do you know off the top of your, your head why it's called boob tube or why that expression got Because there were boobs on the tube. <laughs> I I don't know precisely where that idiom well, uh, continue. was. Well, uh, continue. While you're talking, I'll look at <laughs> uh, Okay. I mean, I, think... I, can, I can tell you why they use the term tube, but yeah, boob, I, I, I have no idea. It was the cathode ray tube. I exactly. feel like John's going to yeah. get distracted down a rabbit hole and we're going to lose him for the rest of the episode. Yeah, that's probably better off. Anywho. <laughs> uh, William Eld, who was an assistant managing editor of the Daily News, died in 2008, age 82. The boob tube is a nickname for the television, a tube for boobs slash idiots. It, oh, he's not the tubes wrong. inside were a cathode ray tube. There you go. <sighs> All right. So... 
Almost unawares, the world experienced a social, economic, and artistic revolution. But as we've seen, the most profound social changes rarely revolve around pomp and circumstance. They often occur on the fringes first, hidden from the prying eyes of the general public, or the genital public, as we'll get into later on. Uh, as often occurs with consumer goods, it was in the United States that few pioneers dove headlong into the video pool instinctively and enthusiastically. When the Japanese brand Sony launched its new video format, Betamax, in 1976, it sent shockwaves through the entertainment industry. Now, to contextualize this a little bit, let's recall, you could only watch films in a theater. Or you would get them occasionally thrown as the evening or afternoon movie on television, but oftentimes they were edited dramatically. The story goes that with Planet of the Apes, they would start the movie on the planet. So you would get no context of why you have characters that are astronauts that have landed. It's just human beings automatically being ensnared in nets. <laughs> Is that bullshit? No, it's not bullshit. That was the, the common fuck? edit because they had to take a significant amount of time out and they didn't want to lose all the time on the Planet of the Apes. So they just removed the first you know 20 minutes of the movie, huh. throw Heston out and have him shirtless because that's what everybody wanted to see, right? He killed it all! Exactly. So, uh, in cinemas and on television, the moving image had always been an extraordinarily rare animal to capture. So the first videotape recorders were the sizes of a were the size of a room and cost as much as the average home, much like computers later on. So these things needed to take a significant amount of refining to get them down to a manageable size. However, after a fierce technological and commercial race spanning several decades, Sony suddenly abolished the privilege of projecting moving pictures as the proprietary enterprise of theaters. Betamax made video accessible to everyone. Still, only a handful of enthusiasts understood what a radical change it represented and were willing to dig deep to obtain this bleeding-edge technology. It's worthy of note that the SL7200 at the time cost somewhere around $750 brand new. Now, in 1976... <laughs> That's a lot of money. Someone with the average paying employment was lucky to make $100 a week. <sighs> so, subsequently, knowing that, imagine the time it would take to amass the disposable income or the accumulated debt necessary to purchase a VCR. Or a Betamax, technically. Uh, many folks would wind up taking on a second job to afford such a luxury item. So, uh, to the American mindset, the ability to record television programming was obviously a worthwhile extravagance, and of course, if you needed to work through that second job, you could just tape whatever you missed on the tube. So, to further note, at this time, Sony marketed its machine solely as a simple recording device. So, again, there were no home video features being marketed here. You either caught it in the theater or you hoped to see it on television. So you bought the TV guide to figure out when you could actually watch Planet of the Apes. Uh, you know, heaven help you if you missed The Exorcist in theaters because you were fucked. Like, not something you were going to catch, particularly with the interesting bits included. So... Imagine that. Yeah. Because uh, TV regulations were a lot worse than exactly. movie regulations, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's so much you couldn't show. Uh, in any event, you were no longer a slave to the tyranny of the television schedule once you'd bought a VCR. You could tape programming and watch it whenever you wanted. 
This was nothing short of a miracle to many of those whose entire daily activities revolved around destination programming, which was something that the networks were very keen on maintaining. So, not surprisingly, the promised liberation from network schedules was intoxicating for many working-class stiffs, and heaven help you if you were a day-sleeper, because again, for context of those younger folks on the show here, or those listening who might not be familiar... Most broadcast networks on television would cease their feed at midnight, and it would cut to static. So you would have no television available to you between the hours of midnight and probably like 6 a.m. So uh, if you were working nights and wanted something to get you through a dull shift working security, you were reading a book. In 2021, of course, it's difficult to fathom that TV stations would just shut down nightly, but it's important to remember the cost to air programming, particularly without commercial sponsorship, it was not worth the dividends offered by catering to such a small audience. Later, the advent of the infomercial for fans like Courtney would eventually help <laughs> to push us towards a 24-hour broadcast schedule, but many stations were still going off the air in the evenings well into the 80s. So subsequently, it's easy to see the appeal of being able to record programming to view on demand in that context. What else were you going to do in your spare time? Read a book? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like a lot of a lot of TV stations at this time were independent as well. Mm -hmm. And so when you don't have a big conglomerate backing you and saying, here, we'll give you money to make it worthwhile to broadcast after midnight, why bother? You were right. Yeah. <clears throat> so when they're independent, Fuck it. Sorry, but uh, it's not Shut worth it to off. stay open. Yeah. Yep. Bye. So, furthermore, this new technology was so appealing that enclaves of VHS enthusiasts actually went so far as to organize or attend comic or sci-fi conventions to exercise and expand upon their newfound freedoms. So let's say a group of 50 diehard video fans would bring along their VCRs to swap or record as much content as their tapes would allow over the course of a two-day event. I'm not kidding. Whoa! So consider that, again, this is one of the reasons why comic book conventions were so frequently attended, because it's not just people going looking for rare, you know, media in the way of published material, they were also trying to get movies that they wouldn't have had access to. So from the outset, a, the little black box had its own ardent and enthused community. One of the most popular early adopters of this format is Leprechaun, an annual science fiction convention with an emphasis on art held in and around Phoenix, Arizona, usually in May around Mother's Day weekend. It wasn't set in Phoenix. It was set in Phoenix. Fuck. Leprechaun what? existed here. I kid you not. <laughs> huh. It is the second oldest science fiction convention in Arizona. Not second? just the country, yes. What? <laughs> uh, so the early Leprechaun conventions were held around St. Patrick's Day weekend, hence the pun. Okay. Uh, and uh, so... As tourist season then began to expand in Arizona, the May 1979 convention held at the Quality Inn in Phoenix oh. featured a large-scale bank of 15 beta machines sponsored by the committee chair of Ken St. Andre uh, to encourage duping for tape traders at the convention. This is based largely on the popularity of sharing recordings of the original Star Trek television series, which folks were clamoring to get the entire set of. Now, this is very difficult to manage for those who were having to sit, and I'll get into the nuances of this as well. But did this... you 
sorry, did you also find evidence that they were sharing uh, things from uh, other countries, like specifically Japan? Not as frequently here, because again, programming was difficult. We'll get, that starts to kind of pick up uh, later on, and I'll talk about that when we get into the 80s. So this is still kind of like tail end of the 70s. Okay, okay. Because this is 79. I was curious, because an episode that I'm doing research on, a lot of that is based off of the early conventions Mm -hmm. um, and the idea of sharing things. Oh, yeah, no, tape trading is uh, is, is a big booming thing, even into the 90s. And again, this Mm -hmm. is like professional wrestling. There were a lot of tape traders who would do this by mail also. So, yeah, we can go down a rabbit hole here. I have a question. uh, Go for it. You mentioned that it was near Mother's Day, and then you said it was named after St. Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. It That's- actually took place around St. Patrick's Day weekend. It started out in May okay. initially, and then they, and moved, then it. they moved it. Gotcha. Yeah. So, Did not a lie. <laughs> Did they call it something different before they moved it to St. Patrick's Day? They very likely did. It wasn't contained in the material I was looking for. I didn't get it. Dude, I've got 22 pages of material here. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. And I'm not trying to discourage folks because I can, I'm (laughs) glossing over a lot, a large portion of this because I want discussion. Yeah, there's a lot of history. There's a lot of history with even conventions. Uh Uh-huh. But particularly because this one was one of, one, it took place in Phoenix, and two, was one of the major units that was pushing VHS at the time, because a lot of these places were still more wrapped up in comic books and uh, selling odd ephemera around that sort of material. So in any event, uh, this brought a wealth of video enthusiasts to bear on the hotel during this convention with the machines in use for the entirety of the convention, to the extent that some tape traders actually had to be chased off in the evenings for them to officially close down at the end of the day, because they were still <laughs> desperately trying to get tapes duped before they could leave. So, an interesting byproduct of these conventions' networking sessions was pioneering home recording aficionados rapidly exchanging tapes with their peers all across the country. So, this helped to redistribute underground films, especially in genres such as cult films and international features, as well as episodes of, say, professional wrestling and television game shows, which until the 70s were routinely destroyed after airing, resulting in very few available episodes enduring beyond their initial broadcast, unless someone had recorded them off the television. That's why a lot of the older Doctor Who uh, serials are completely, like, can't find them. uh, And they're horrible quality when you do find them because someone was pulling them off the TV. Yeah, they're recorded off a TV and they've been replicated like hundreds of times and that's the last recorded copy. So, Mm -hmm. And eventually all of this went so far as that they would start taking out classified ads in the back of magazines and offering like chase lists of this is what I have available. So I have episodes one through 47 of Star Trek. I have the Exorcist uh, unexpurgated. I have all of this and this and this, and I will provide you a copy of that tape. If you can provide me something of, you know, one of these shows that I want or a movie that I want. So this is ridiculous. The lengths to which people had to go in order to get things that they wanted to see. So, Prior to the advent of uh, advent of commercial video production, because again, all of this is just the wild west right now. Right. Uh, long before films were actually available for rent, uh, it was very difficult for folks to find anything without going to these lengths. And this I phenomena love that. reached. 
Uh huh. Because it again kind of points to if you really loved something, you had to work very hard to track it down. Oh, and the anticipation of like, oh, I finally get to watch this. Like that would be so fun. I feel like we get so caught up and just be like, oh, I can watch literally whatever anytime that it's not mm-hmm. as fun. But this would be like full hunt mode. <laughs> And what's funny is that you're talking about that, and that is one aspect of it. But the other part is is that it is a very grueling process. So the video that I watch is there's a documentary about this that I'm distilling a lot of this from. And they go through the painstaking process of these folks who were like rabid video consumers that would have to record these films off of television because it was a mortal sin to have commercials in your video. Oh, yeah. So if you're recording a movie off the television, uh-huh. you had to sit next to it with your finger poised over the stop button I used to waiting for videos. the commercial. So you would sit the entirety of the film, pause when you got to a point where you didn't want to record, and then wait it for the exact right moment for it to come back from the commercial break so that you didn't miss anything. And so there were folks who spent an inordinate amount of their lives sitting with a finger poised over the button, just waiting for it to click back over like folks who used to record radio programming and didn't want to get any ads. So ridiculous. The lengths to which folks had to go. So Once you're snagging the Planet of the Apes in the privacy of your own home to keep and view forevermore, eventually the act itself is going to be considered illegal. So, video fans' enchanted affair with the unfettered entertainment came to a very abrupt cessation. Seeing a revolution beginning to coalesce before their eyes, film studios rightly realized the future of the industry was at stake. The first shot in the war was fired by TV media giant Universal when they elected to take Sony itself, not the various beta bandits, to court. So, for Hollywood studios, copying films from television broadcasts was akin to shoplifting, and that's how they phrased it, is that their stance was the studios had received remuneration from television stations for each airing of a film. All right, so you're you're getting a constant stream of income. However, if individuals began pirating the broadcasts for their personal use, that revenue stream would be impacted and uh, by depleted viewer uh, viewership going forward, and then making the act essentially illegal. It was an act of theft. The companies therefore opted to sue Sony and its distributors in California District Court in 1976, alleging that because Sony was manufacturing a device that could be used for copyright infringement, they were liable for any infringement committed by its purchasers. In the same way that we sue firearms manufacturers for a couple zealots running off and popping a couple caps into folks. So, reasonable... Slightly different, I know. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's easier to cut them off at the source Mm -hmm. as opposed to tracking these people that, like, might have done one or two of them or something like that. Like, are you really going to try and track the tens of thousands of people that have done something similar to this? Or are you going to try and get the person that manufactures it? And also Um, why we wind up having an FBI warning before every film that we wind up watching later on. Exactly. And and for the younger millennials, I wouldn't say Zoomers out there because probably haven't seen these, but like the whole LimeWire, you wouldn't download a car. Oh, my God. I was thinking about those, too. Yeah, it pops up anytime there's a way for people to get uh, these sort of things that people... 
that these companies sell uh, without necessarily having to pay for it. You're like jokes on you, I would steal a fucking car. Watch me. I not. would download. A, I would download a car. I download a pizza. I download a house. Why the fuck not? And then I would I would download it, and then I would three D print it. So go fuck yourself. <laughs> so we're we're back on yet. John's using ghost guns in his spare time, apparently. <laughs> Uh, here's the delightful part of the show where we prove that we have some of the worst criminals in human history because they're admitting <laughs> on the record to crimes that they plan to commit, right? Because yeah. you can download a car. I've seen it happen. And then 3D print it. Yeah. So anyway, typically, the entertainment establishment was scared of changes to any arrangement that it had in place. It's monolithic and it does not want to change at all. So... Uh, outside of sporting events, there were very few contenders for hard-earned legal tender that outshone a trip to the cinema. With that said, however, legend has it that Universal's wrath stemmed from a row con- uh, surrounding fans of a pair of television series. One of Sony's big ads for the Betamax was, Now you can have happy days and never miss a moment of MASH. <laughs> so, Happy Days was being produced yeah. by Paramount at the time. And uh, Fox was producing MASH. So placing those two at odds Bullshit? caused a bit of a row. Was what Fox, do you mean? Did Fox do MASH? Yeah, Fox did MASH. Huh. Is Happy Days from the 70s? I, I thought it was earlier. We're grasping at straws here, but I like it. Yeah, I know, we're uh-huh. not getting Same. any lies. Uh, Good oh, luck. Fuck me then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh. so... To explain, television networks' income largely relied on their ability to counter-program against one another. All right, you're eking out your competition. So, this drove ad revenue because, of course, folks want to put their materials up for the eager eyes of folks watching the most popular show. The premise being, viewers were forced to choose between the popular shows, and subsequently the most popular programs demanded the highest investment from advertisers. They could also afford to be more exclusionist, only catering to the creme de la creme of products and services. So, with the ability to record programming, that completely shifted the balance of power, and then the viewers could do whatever the hell they wanted, and it ruined folks trying to do commercial advertising, much to the studio's chagrin. So thus, the case of a Universal versus Sony wound up lasting almost 10 years with astronomical stakes. Universal sought monetary damages, an equitable accounting of profits, and an injunction against the manufacture and marketing of VTRs. The District Court uh, of California denied all relief, holding that the non-commercial home use of recording material broadcast over the public airwaves was a fair use of copyrighted works and did not constitute copyright infringement. Moreover, the court concluded that Sony could not be held liable as contributory infringers, even if the use of a a VTR in the home was considered an infringing use. This decision was subsequently reversed by the Court of Appeals, which instead elected to hold Sony liable for contributory infringement. Plot thickens. So thus, in 1984, this case went all the way to the United States Supreme Court. In a 5-4 to four opinion delivered by Justice Paul Ooh. Stevens, the court held that the sale of the VTRs to the general public does not constitute contributory infringement of Universal's copyrights. 
So the court concluded that there was a significant likelihood that a substantial number of copyright holders who license their works for free public broadcasts would not object to having their broadcasts time-shifted by private viewers, and that Universal failed to show that time-shifting would cause non-minimal harm to the potential market for or value of their copyrighted works. So I can get more into the nuances of this, but essentially he is saying that uh, as long as it's being used for home use and it's not for, you know, larger scale uh, purposes, which are a little more objectionable, then they don't have a problem with it. Yeah, and that's kind of like where we're at today. Like, if it's for home use, sure, go ahead. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to try and sell it or make money off of it, that's where it gets into copyright. Mm -hmm. But I just... I don't know why. The whole time I was thinking, like, what would happen if they voted the opposite way? Uh-huh. Like, how things would have changed. Because then that would have completely halted any sort of home recordings. Mm-hmm. And then goes years. your DVR, because yeah. same general principle. Like, just, yeah, there's a lot that hinges on this moment, particularly where entertainment is concerned. Mm-hmm. And how it's spread. And uh, furthermore, to your point, Michael, what's even funnier of talking about trying to then curb this, by 1984, when this was decided, some 20 million Americans owned a VCR. So this was not just a handful (laughs) of geeks in a basement any longer. This was something that was a common item in the American household. You said 84? Yes, 1984. Yeah, so there was already commercial, like, like not VCRs, but uh, commercial, like, um, cassettes. Mm Mm-hmm. At that to point. record, so, yes, uh-huh. to record, but also just um, media companies were probably selling like not not Lion King because I know that was early '90s, but like that that similar style, like buy this movie. This movie's out in theaters now. Not, it's being released. Not, not yet. Really, I'm getting there. Huh. So okay, and there was a difference between VTR and VCR. Yes, it's yeah, slight. there's a letter it's, difference. It's, it's, well, it's I know, video. I know. I just, I've, I've never thought to <laughs> say VTR. Yeah. It's it's um, a nuanced thing. It's not dramatically different. It just depends on yeah, how they marketed yeah, it. Because some things were VCRs, some it, so it's video cassette or a videotape. Just depends on who's you know. You hear that? You fuck. <laughs> yeah, one's a C, one's a C. It, it's like you know the difference between calling something a facial tissue or a Kleenex. Some things it's brand uh, oriented. So I like my cotton swabs. Thank you. No Q-tips for me. Yeah, I'm gonna give you a cotton swab up the ass in a second. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And that's why. Anywho, cotton swab. What's this? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> So as early as 1977, Betamax began to face a formidable foe in the marketplace in the form of VHS. That is the video home system. So this newcomer could record for twice as long as beta tapes. Quickly winning the price war as well, VHS easily became the market standard. By the mid-80s, many Westerners had already succumbed to the VCR's charms. But naturally, this boom in a home... And so, again, this is kind of where we're transitioning from the Betamax into the VHS. So this led many in the United States and Europe to the idea of selling and renting videotapes. So once they start producing, uh, you know, your marketable home video to own, which again was for an exorbitant fee at this point, because some of these things were in excess of a hundred dollars just for the cassette, Jeez. which is disgusting. Ugh. 
which then meant that they also, in order to get proper sort of payment back, folks who started running their own family-owned businesses where they would then sell videotapes for you to rent, they would charge you enough money because they figured they would only get maybe between 10 to 15 uses of it before the tape started to malfunction or die. So they had to charge you a certain amount per rental in order for them to recoup, one, the expenses for purchasing the tape outright, but then, two, to somehow profit. So then rental fees were also astronomical at the onset. So, like, some of this stuff is flabbergasting when you think about that you would pay anywhere between 10 to $15 occasionally to rent a video cassette. Yeah, because that makes sense, because even um, later stage VHSs, like, they weren't that replayable. You could only rewind them so many times before uh-huh. the ribbons started tearing, or there was substantial degradation. Uh-huh, and, or furthermore, occasionally the machine would eat your tape, Yep, and true. then you can't recover that. So you got folks that are paying cost on that. So like, yeah, there are myriad you ways. Could that, uh-huh. <laughs> you could try. You could try to wind it all back in, but uh uh-huh. <laughs> it's not a cassette tape in the uh, car sense, so it's a little more I, difficult. I, I definitely tried that a couple of times for the audio cassettes. Uh-huh, with a pencil but, and uh yeah, you know, yeah, try yeah, to pull yeah. it back together. Yeah. <laughs> so to avoid getting a little too far down here, I want to make sure that I move forward fast enough because I have something that is of peak interest to John here. <gasps> what kind of porn? So, <laughs> the first he- video stores were essentially family-run businesses with occasional like convenience and grocery stores adding videos for rental to bolster revenue streams. But again, commercial video production hadn't really gotten on its feet yet, and so the quality of materials that one could find in stores varied wildly initially. But while the studio system was still not entirely certain about putting forth all of their effort into creating video cassettes, a niche sector stepped into the breach to vacuum up the filthy lucre in the offing. Pornography. Because you you have talked about, you have mentioned doing this topic before. Mm -hmm. And this is is the part I'm excited about. This is what I had to get to. So porn producers are often a step ahead of the merchandising game, be it streaming media, handheld devices, telephonic seduction, etc. So, (laughs) pornographers understood before everyone the immense benefits of the VHS revolution. So let's just contextualize again for those who are not familiar and didn't grow up in this time frame for the Xenials on the call. Uh, and for those listening, I'm kidding. <laughs> I listened Zoomer. to a whole podcast about how the porn industry brought VHS to the forefront and how they revolutionized telemarketing and phone sex. Mm-hmm. So I was referring to listeners, so... not you. Thank you. But so you should definitely be able to, you know, suss out all of his lies. Oh for yeah, the, the rest of them, I got Courtney, this. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, Courtney cool. has it. We all heard it. All right, so. For the first time in the history of cinema, a movie could be screened in the privacy of one's own home without going through the trouble of setting up a projector. Now, ordinary folks prior to this time frame were forced to subject themselves to a seedy porn theater in a slum of town most of the time because they weren't placing them in any of the places where reasonable folks would go. (laughs) And then they would have to... (laughs) hang out in a derelict building surrounded by crowds of other perverts to get off in public. 
So if you were the and also let's not mention the fact that that is tantamount to indecent exposure if anybody catches you doing this. So this is a very difficult proposition for someone who just wants to bust a nut without using the Sears catalog in the seventies. Okay. Oh, I prefer Sears uh, catalog though. Good housekeeping. Yes. <laughs> oh God. I only read it for the articles though. So. Well, Michael's so good at cleaning. Who... No. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the pages of my He's Reader's not. Digest were all firmly spot welded together. So there's pages, but I can't open the damn book. It's just stuck together. Oh, they said laughter's the best read. medicine. They were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, so now with the advent of the VCR, they could rent tapes and rub themselves raw without ever having to stop to clean up. And they did. Indeed. <laughs> Carpal tunnel be damned. In fact, pornography had such a powerful impact in the market that it would ultimately act as the fulcrum in the battle between VHS and Beta. And just like in adult films, Beta ain't better. Ultimately, <laughs> VHS won the war, and tech lore has it that the victory was owed almost exclusively to the support of the porn industry. So, fun times going on here. Sony flatly refused to publish pornographic content on Betamax tapes. While JVC and VHS consortiums had no such qualms, welcoming adult content with open arms and, as the legend goes, led to the Betamax's demise. Interesting. The video store subsequently became the very symbol of society's ambiguous relationship with sex. And that was in a back room usually cordoned off with a curtain or beads or some sort of a bar behind bat-wing doors like some sort of salacious saloon back in the Old West. <laughs> so, also, behind a sign indicating over 18 is required, uh, a phantasmagoria of lewd images awaited. So in the documentary, there is a ton of folks that talked about working at mom and pop stores that were always terrified of having to go reshelve materials back in the porn room. <laughs> and I can speak to this because when I started working at Tower Records, we still had a huge plethora of adult material that was in the back of the store. And you would watch the most like crazed characters come in to just sort through that stuff. There was a guy who, I kid you not, he brought gloves with him. And not like <laughs> surgical gloves, like you would, he would bring mittens and put them on and start to sort through the adult films. And he always came up and purchased like three or four things. I was like, oh, good. It's the, the porn germaphobe again. It's my favorite guy all the time. <laughs> Don't mind me. <laughs> Apparently, my candle got a little too excitable. <laughs> This is amazing. Talking about porn, huh? That's too hot in there. Spicy. Good God. Steamy. Oh, it's How amazing. Delightful. <laughs> Guys, it congratulations, Michael. Uh, that uh, that's not bad. No, leave that I in. Got, that's uh, hilarious. I have Jim Morrison's uh, spirit just channeling all through me. Come on, baby, light my fire. Yeah, was, that a, uh, <laughs> was that a jazz smoke detector in the key of C? Yes. <laughs> I'll auto-tune it. I was riffing it. It was beautiful. <laughs> Man, you Anywho. Played, you played the fucking hell out of that thing. Uh, so, 
as per usual, when we get back into this. An outro based, uh, sorry, an outro based off of your fire alarm. Oh, God. <laughs> Was that a truck backing up or that ass? <laughs> oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> Anywho, speaking of ass backing up, so when I was uh, watching folks sorting through porn at Tower Records, this gentleman in particular also bought a significant quantity of material under the label of Shane's World. For those of you who are unfamiliar, that was a group that produced a decent amount of pornography, and he always looked at my name tag (laughs) and then looked down at the material. And I was noted as constantly joking. I was like, yeah, they don't pay me shit for these things. Are you, are you fibbing? Are you fibbing no. right now about your real life? Nope. That oh is uh, not a lie. That <laughs> I had to routinely sell. If you look it up, it is still available. There's a Jesus. ton of stuff from Shane's World. It was very awkward for me. I didn't enjoy it at all. Bullshit. Bullshit. You enjoyed it all the time. <laughs> Dude, if you had a look at this motherfucker, John Merrick would have had an easy run up a walkway catwalk in front of him. Like, this guy was not pleasant to look at. Okay. Fair enough. And usually was wearing some sort of overcoat, so I don't know what he had on underneath that getup. Probably nothing. I'm hoping it was a gimp suit, because I don't want to think of that one jacket being the only layer of fabric between myself and a naked man. <laughs> The leather protects me. So, in any event, much like me, the video cassette was still in its infancy, but had already inflamed the West's formerly insouciant moral values. Society (laughs) suddenly stiffened. Pun intended. I'm sorry, that's just a great joke. (laughs) It's beautiful. Thank you. So, at many local video stores, X-rated films were banned. Offering pornography became a very politicized issue as proprietors and customers began uh, being indicted and tried, and in extreme cases, receiving jail time for selling adult films. I know it's true, but please tell me it's bullshit. Oh, it's true. The argument began to revolve around the First Amendment rights uh, more than copyright at this juncture, adding another blight on the reputation of video cassettes. So with that said... The sheer force of consumer interest kept the market growing. So even during those eras of government censorship, video sales skyrocketed and the money kept rolling in. So consumers had spoken and proved the irrefutable truth of American commerce from prohibition to the war on drugs. Market forces are irresistible. (laughs) So you can try to censure it. You can try to ban it. It's still going to get out there. So, in the wake of the porn revolution, film producers finally saw the potential of this prodigious new medium and began to make programs specifically for VHS release, which is uh, quite delightful. I'm going to skip over a bunch of stuff now because there's a lot of discussion about Betamax and Betamax 2, where Betamax started trying to produce tapes that had longer lifespan so they could record more to try to keep up with VHS, and it didn't work out. And uh, there's a lot of, like, fapping over formatting because, you know, Beta 1 Super Mm -hmm. High Band mode had a maximum single cassette runtime of an hour and 40 minutes. And I don't think anybody gives a shit. (laughs) I mean, I do... But I know no one else does. Because that, it's fascinating, the 100 minute like runtime and then also Betamax 2, Electric Boogaloo, and <laughs> just that sort of thing. Swing and a miss. <laughs> All right. So, the first huge hit 
that was ever released solely for a viewing on a, a home video recording was designed to encourage repeat viewing. Jane Fonda's workout sold 10 million copies leading many other fitness fanatics to jump on the bandwagon. Examples range from our favorite Richard Simmons' Sweatin' to the Oldies Yay! to the Baby and Mom Aerobics, which I shit you not, this is a thing, which exercises that were expected to be done while holding an infant. Uh-huh. I believe it completely. Uh-huh. And finally, <laughs> to Courtney's favorite, and one that I'm going to get you for Christmas, Prayer aerobics, where one would pray to your personal savior and honor your God through your workout. No, because here's the thing. My mom had a set of DVDs called Holy Yoga that was like yoga to worship music. So that would kidding. actually be very fucking triggering to me, Shane. So don't waste Merry your Christmas. money. <laughs> or should I say Happy Hanukkah? Oh, my God. God. Fuck. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <sighs> what the hell? You know what this is making me think of, though, as far as workout videos? Do you guys remember Tybo? Yes. No. That was my that, that was my mom's was... preferred. Oh no. That was like uh, that was a thing like what five six years ago or something like that, right? No. Was that, that was on VHS? a little further, my friend. <laughs> oh shit! Time moves slower for me. Just kidding. I have no sense of time. What year is it? Nixon president? Yeah. Yes. Got it. Okay. Okay. So. To finally get myself out of here. The VHS had finally begun to shatter the norms of societal behavior and paved the way for an array of bizarre entertainment to enter our homes, as we well know. And in this current age of electronics for the masses, the VCR quickly ascended to the number one must-have gadget for the American home. This subsequently ushered in the golden age of video stores as well, with one springing up on seemingly every street corner. The video store became a community facility. Everyone frequented these new temples of entertainment regardless of age or gender. People would meet there and improve their movie culture, creating a melting pot for the zeitgeist of an entire generation. As an acolyte to Kevin Smith and, of course, Quentin Tarantino myself, I can say I delighted in all of my time spent in a movie store, and I assure you there was a lot of it. There's probably at least two of my formative years of my life were spent sitting in the back of a movie store. So I can speak to this, but I'm sure that everyone on this call has at least walked into the hallowed halls of a blockbuster at some point, yes? Even oh, a yeah. Hollywood oh, most video, certainly. There was a blockbuster it. within walking distance of my house, so I went there frequently. Uh, there was also a Hollywood video that was very close by my house as well. Um, I think, actually, it it would be at the intersection that uh, you live close to. <laughs> okay, well, let's uh, continue to tell the entire world where I live. <laughs> I'm not going to reference it. But, but if you yes. like send me bees, you won't. this uh, episode, uh. we will send you Shane's address. Oh, callback. Yeah, luckily um. none of you fuckers have it, so. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, I, I love going into Blockbuster, Hollywood Video, just the, just being able to see what was there, what the new releases, uh-huh. hearing uh, the... Uh, people working being like oh this is a great movie this is a great game to watch or, or or to play whatever right because they also did video games as well right 
but it's a co- it's a total cultural touchstone for everybody because you can go in and share these are the films I liked and why like I that moment in Clerks which I know I'm speaking to only a couple members of the audience here but where uh, Randall walks into Big Choice and falls to his knees in exultation <laughs> for finally being able to get the good movies uh, I have lived that life. I, I really do enjoy it. But with, what's funny about this is I mentioned Blockbuster because the genesis of Blockbuster, strangely enough, is tied to pornography and other things like horror films. So really? eventually, the the more salacious material actually became so prolific that parents started to object to their children being exposed. Because, I mean, uh, think of some of the box sets for horror films back in the day. Like, I Spit on Your Grave basically had, like, a half-naked woman with a knife holding, like, a bloody thing. Like, there's a lot of very uh, sort of stirring visual material contained just on horror films alone. So then when you add yeah. pornography as an option, if you've only got beads separating kids from, you know, adult material... It's going to be a problem. So enough folks kicked up enough of a row that the studios saw themselves losing money when parents started to get irate. And so the studios actually helped to co-found Blockbuster Video and utilize that as the media through which they would push all of their tentpole movies. Which is why, if you'll notice in the latter days of Blockbuster, they had 800 fucking copies of the big tentpole movie for that summer, and you could not find any of the more niche films, because it was a feeder system for the studio films. Oh, shit. So then you had to go and have folks like go back to tape trading and sending materials for horror films or pornography that you couldn't find elsewhere. And this became this whole weird sort of cultural battle again existing huh. within the, the media market for those who didn't want to just get crap that you could find at Blockbuster. It's really bizarre, quite fascinating. And there's a lot of material in my research here for it, which is why I have 22 pages. So I wanted to just kind of synopsize this quickly. but. You actually had to go through like horror fanzines in order to find people who would sell you the videos that you wanted to get because they just would not allow them to be available to the general public. Uh, particularly things that involve like cannibalism, zombies, and things like that were often really sort of taboo for people. You're right. You're right. And personal antidote here, antidote, whatever. <laughs> Um, antecedent. That's that's the word I'm sure. looking for. Uh, well, if you do, you're gonna clean it up. You're right, though. You going to Hollywood Video, which I think was more of a local chain, not something that was like national, but that was where you could find everything that wasn't necessarily just out like at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you go to Blockbuster. You're right. I do remember just a whole wall of like this new movie just came out. Everything's on DVD now, yep. or uh, VHS, get it while it's hot. Um, but you couldn't find anything from, or if you were lucky, you could only find maybe a couple of tapes of something that was even from a couple of years ago. Right. It was uh, purified, yeah. homogenized, and sanitized for your protection. Uh, and subsequently, because of this, horror essentially became the new pornography. Uh, because it got driven underground, people had to sort of share it in some weird huh. sort of like back chain, and it became this weird forbidden fruit of human depravity, sort of 
cloyed in this air of gory mystique that people just had to get to. And so it was really interesting, particularly for someone who enjoys horror films, but like trying to get a copy of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was exceptionally difficult back then. Because again, you've got people just throwing folks up onto hooks and, uh, you know, tossing them into the ground or cutting them up with a chainsaw. Like kind of difficult. Um, this was particularly prevalent in the UK. They had a lot of issues with the government actually outlawing certain materials and the whole big thing. But, uh, so essentially Blockbuster then imposed new rules on the sector. It spruced up its aisles and sold the aura of good, clean family entertainment to the masses. The chain's launch also marked the end of the pioneer era in video rental. Financial wheelers and dealers moved into the home video market, and thus, as a sign of the times, Blockbuster's main investor had made its fortune in the sanitation industry, uh, marking video just as another commodity to be exploited. This was a moment which shifted from intrepid video store owners who built a well-curated collection of sought-after films for people to get to more of a media conglomerate just forcing stuff down people's throats. And essentially, Hollywood took over and invested massively in the home video market from that point on. Symbolic of this historic U-turn was a movie Universal had produced back in 1982. With its ongoing lawsuit against Sony, the studio had always refused to release it on VHS. When director Steven Spielberg made the film, he swore he would never release it on home video. And in spite of this, the irresistible gravity of greed finally won them over, and E.T., uh, aired and exceeded $150 million when it was originally released on VHS. Damn. So after 1987, home video was readily making more money than theaters, which led the theatrical runs to act more as a media screening window for home video, which is a dramatic pivot. For those, it's like it, you built things to go into the cinema. In fact, you know, you've got Gone with the Wind where they just toured it from theater to theater so that they could control the entire experience. And this is just completely thrown on its head once home video starts becoming the thing that they're changing their energy towards. And what's happening now, friends? <laughs> we are eschewing all of the home video releases and also theaters for, hey, well, this is streamable. Let's start producing things specifically for our streaming platforms. Yeah. So it's very odd to watch these sort of undulating waves, which is why this topic was particularly interesting to me at this point when I was looking it over, because you can see the exact same sort of fingerprints on the current market for media. The past harmonizes. That's <laughs> what I hear. Sorry, this is a little bit of an aside, but you, do you know anything about the video game crash of um, the early 80s? I do not. That's okay. not in this topic. Oh, no, no, because that's video games, that's Atari and all that other Wait, stuff. But, what? but you mentioned E.T., and that was one of the driving forces behind it, and also parents and all that other stuff. Parents? But, uh, sorry. Breeders. Ugh. Lemurs. As someone that is technically a parent, I, I hate when they're like, oh, we can't have the kids be oh exposed God. to this pornographic Wait, material. Joseph, as if calm down. He's been a parent for like five minutes, and he's like, you know what? As the authority of parents on this podcast. As someone that technically has to uh, cater to the whims of someone that is uh, not an adult. My name's <laughs> um, Daddy. That's not your daddy. I guarantee Ziesel you says I have to say it that way. Why are you talking about Almost destiny certainly. like that? <laughs> Come on now. Anyway. <laughs> God damn. But 
going back aside from the parents' remark, because anytime <laughs> I hear parents being like, we're against this thing, I'm like, y'all bitches. Welcome to the um, Not My Daddy cast. The- <laughs> anyway. Can you do an episode uh, on parenting be- for us? Good God, fuck that. It would all be a lie, because I would I would pretend like I would know what I'm talking about, and that would be the lie. Right, um, don't let them near open fire. <laughs> It's the parrot. If they parents. burn themselves, they'll eventually learn. Um, They're not dishwasher safe. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I left it in the shower too long. Now it's wrinkly. Anyway, I. Th- <laughs> Bake on high for 450 for four hours. Crispy skin's the best. <laughs> Fuck that. I have a toaster oven now. I don't need to worry about those oven stuff. All right, I come on. Get back to your parenting shit. <laughs> anyway. I think it would be really cool if you could cover the video game crash of the 80s. Obviously, you seem to know a lot more about this than I do or care to know, Michael, Uh, so why don't you do it? Fine. Stop trying to John me here, goddammit. Do it, you won't. I was trying to to incept an idea in your head. Yeah, good luck with that. Anywho, Uh, back on this bullshit, or we're going to be here till midnight. So... Ah, the video cassette recorder was a mainstay in television-equipped American and European living rooms for more than 20 years after its introduction in the 70s. The home television recording market, as well as the camcorder market, has since transitioned to digital recording and streaming media, as we've alluded to many times. But the introduction of the DVD format to American consumers in March of 1997 directly triggered a market-share decline of VHS. DVD rentals surpassed those on the VHS format in the United States for the first time in June of 2003, just for those who are playing the home game. And uh, though 94.5 million Americans still owned VHS format and VCRs in 2005, market share continued to drop. In the mid-2000s, several retail chains in the United States and Europe announced they would stop selling VHS equipment. In the U.S., no major brick-and-mortar retailer stocked VHS home video releases, focusing instead on DVD and Blu-ray media. The last known company in the world to manufacture VHS equipment was Funai of Japan, who produced videocassette recorders under the Sanyo brand in China and North America. Funai ceased production of VHS equipment in July of 2016, citing falling sales and a shortage of component parts. So despite the decline in both VHS players and programming on VHS machines, they are still owned in households worldwide, yada, yada, yada. Uh, There are those who still hold on or use VHS or do so for a number of reasons, including nostalgic value and ease of use in recording, and of course, keeping personal home videos or movies, watching content currently exclusive to VHS and collecting, which, I mean, let's talk about Disney films for a second here. As they do love to uh, bogart and gatekeep folks from actually owning some of their films unless you bought it on VHS in 1987. So, true, true. yeah. Back from Lots out of, of the vault. Exactly. <laughs> Bastards. So, uh, let's get around to what I was trying. So, the last standalone JVC VHS only unit was produced in October 28th of 2008. Uh, to mark more sort of passages of times, but uh, here we are. 
A market for pre-recorded VHS tapes still continues, with some online retailers such as Amazon still selling new and used pre-recorded VHS cassettes of movies and television programs. I actually just found a slew of, I think, like probably 25 freshly wrapped VHS cassettes in our supply closets as I was cleaning things out at the library this week. And we still have a a multi-format DVD and VCR combo television, which is delightful. Whoa. Movie night. And and a region-free DVD player for those of you who have ever tried to track down one of those beautiful things. Did you say a region? Yes, free? region yeah. free. So you can play materials from Japan or the UK, a lot of the European materials, and that is not something that you huh. can do with a lot of DVD material. Anyway, so with that said, though, none of the major Hollywood studios generally issue releases on VHS these days. No small wonder. The last major studio film to be released in the format in this format in the United States, because I am a goon for factoids like this, and I loved it when I found it, other than, of course, special marketing promotions, was The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King in 2003. No, really? Mm-hmm. That was uh, wow, huh? Because I mean, if you consider, like in most instances, they don't need to just throw that nonsense out wholesale at that point. But that was kind of one of the big tentpole films, and my dad did have those films on VHS. I had Fellowship on VHS. Yep. <laughs> so. Uh, just an interesting little factoid there, so God bless Peter Jackson and his uh, king of the geekery. He was not going to let those lovers of VHS be conned out of seeing the end of the trilogy. So, follow that up with October of 2008, Distribution Video Audio Incorporated, the last major American supplier of pre-recorded VHS teps, uh, tapes. Tips. Oh God. <laughs> tap, 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 tap. Tap out. Tapas. Tapas. Tapas, yes. Um, Tapas, ooh. So the last major American supplier of pre-recorded VHS tapes shipped its final truckload of tapes to stores in America. So I'm just noting these little hallmarks for everybody on the way out. There are a couple exceptions, of course. Uh, For example, The House of the Devil was released on VHS in 2010 as an Amazon exclusive deal. That made so fucking good. There you go. And also, uh, in the, keeping, oh, please sorry. continue. The house I've been the talking devil, enough. The House of the Devil being on VHS makes my heart happy for multiple reasons, but the biggest reason is because that movie is just such a big nod to the '80s that it's filmed in the styles. There's it. It is shot and presented to look like it belongs on a VHS tape. So I had no you, idea that it was uh, it was there. You literally pulled the words out of my mouth because my next sentence was in keeping with the film's intent to mimic 1980s horror genre films. If you guys haven't seen that movie, you should watch it. Ty West is one of my favorite horror directors uh, until Ari Aster. Fantastic. Uh, Also, John and I will both appreciate this. The first Paranormal Activity film produced in 2007 had a VHS release in the Netherlands in 2010. (laughs) Also a terrible Bullshit on website. the Netherlands? Nope, it was in the Netherlands. Just the Netherlands. Yes, I have no fucking clue why. Okay, uh-huh. I mean, like, it... I understand why you would release it, but just the I Netherlands, know. that's a bit Some odd. of these... Now, so again, like, like, the problem with my sources is I'm pulling this from a documentary, so they're scrolling all of this stuff down and, like, releasing these little tidbits, and I'm like, I want to do further follow-up, but I've sat through two hours of this. I'm not going to look into this anymore. Like, I'm done. I don't want to listen. Understandable. 
So, uh, but <laughs> further follow-up to that, as we alluded to earlier, for you, Michael, the horror film VHS 2 was released as a combo in North America that included a VHS tape in addition to a Blu-ray and DVD copy on September 24th, 2013. They had a sequel? Oh, I hate you. <laughs> Fuck me, he cleared it. I knew of the first one. You, you gotta give me credit for that. You just ranted Doing? and raved about how you love this sort of like zeitgeist that they are reestablishing, and you don't know the progenitor of the movement's sequel. Oh, fuck that. I'm a bandwagoner in that case. Oh. I, I jump on oh that. No God, yeah. he admitted. <laughs> I'm doing best no, at I'll this. I'll definitely admit it. If, if you're talking about YouTube analog horror... No, I'm I I I followed it since its its inception. But you're talking about anything beyond YouTube? You know, I haven't I know had shit. the opportunity to do this in a long time, and it's gonna feel so good. Give it to me. Shut the fuck up, Michael. Oh, all right, so Thank good. You. I just love how strong you are when you say that. It really does it for me. <laughs> he just needs a strong Whoa, man to shut the fuck up, Michael. It's like that. Adam. It's like the Mufasa Mufasa oh. Mufasa scene. It just. <laughs> Shivers. I'm just gonna smear some of my cum across your forehead now. Apparently, <laughs> that's all I ever needed. <laughs> all right. So in 2019, Paramount Pictures produced limited quantities of the 2018 film Bumblebee to give away as promotional contest prizes. Because that was the only way they could get people to watch that stupid fucking movie. <laughs> You're goddamn right. Because much like John Cena, you can't see it. <laughs> thank you all right so i'm going to you know wrap this glorious little insouciant bit of nostalgia up with a last section here so these days you're more likely to find tapes in the rubbish bin at zia records than you are to find them in your living room but they are still selling them for 10 cents a pop down there in case you're interested uh, video stores have m mostly closed down, but it will remain the embodiment of an economic, social, and artistic revolution. A major shift that liberated the image of the eye, made censorship obsolete, and allowed everyone everywhere to produce and watch everything. The VHS tape will live on in the memories in the world of the... What? This is weird. The VHS tape will live on in the memories of those who existed in the 80s, I think, is what they were trying to say. <laughs> They're trying to tell you oh, that you're Oh, man, outdated. I guess wow, I won't know anything about VHSs. Oh, oh shit. God. This, I'm I lifted this from the script of the documentary, and again, okay. with the volume of material I had here, I did not apparently uh, read this as well what, as I should have. What is the documentary? Um, I will uh, throw it in It'll at the end the here, because it's up. Yeah, it's in will the show it? notes. Will it? Because we Actually, know that you this don't time, do though. that. I'll I'll rewind up to the top here because I'm again I've got 22 pages to scroll through before uh. I get to it. So I'll tell you what the title is. But in any event, some folks will never forget the role that this grand old agitator played in their lives and indeed in world history. And so with that in mind, I'm going to leave us with a quote from film fanatic, cinema auteur. And uh, my spirit animal, former video store employee, Quentin Tarantino. 
there would be no YouTube if it wasn't, like, here first, okay? This is what gave people the idea, like, I need to see it. I need to see it now, and I want to see it. Those who experienced it look back on it like, great affection, because it was a community. Like, personally, I can't even think about a movie culture without thinking about it being included in, like, home video and, like, video stores, right? That is me. Like, I'm as old as home video, right? So to speak to its cultural relevance, like, let me put it to you this way, right? Pulp Fiction fucking is, like, trapped on a little bit of plastic. It still lives alongside, like, Plato, Shakespeare, and Tolstoy on the shelves of the prestigious Yale University Library. Like, if that doesn't emphasize VHS's relevance to American society, I don't know what does. You know what I would pay money to see? (laughs) What's that? Ben Shapiro and Quentin Tarantino debate. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you about what I love about feet. what's going on. No, firstly, oh, there's, the, the feet play between those two fuckers would be oh, endless. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that for one. Uh, okay, that but, was perfect casting on your part, and you just stumbled into grace there, because, yeah, that was brilliant. I would, wow. I would genuinely pay a lot of money to listen to them. What, would they not debate dry debate. or not? No, they wouldn't even, well, they wouldn't debate uh, maybe that. Maybe the merits no, of the No, just, just talk about the finer points of feet. Personally, I want a sand just, trap, just okay? <laughs> Listen, I know my That's wife's feet beautiful. are good, okay? You don't have to tell me that my wife's feet are good. Yeah, I don't know I'm why you have to pay for this. Found let's just say, okay, for, example, for example, let's just say, for example, that my my wife's feet were not dry as a desert, okay? How 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 would you be able to process this sort of not dry feet? Uh, uh, you're okay? straw manning like, again. You're straw manning again. <laughs> I thought it was Sandman, but oh, that's what that's God. what they do. That's what they do when they get back into a corner, right? They just cry. Straw oh yeah, man. yeah. No, this is straw man. This <laughs> yeah. is straw man. You're clear as straw manning. I could I could tell because I I know plenty of straw man. I've done straw man I, my whole time. Like I'm nothing but a straw man. Every every time I give an argument, it is a straw which man. What are you, Piers Morgan? Which I find Jesus. ironic Christ. that they don't know what gaslighting is, but they know what straw manning is. <laughs> Well, they only took. They only showed up to the first day of how to debate well, one one. Allow me to be funny instead of Michael. Uh, Fair. You know what happens when you gaslight a straw man? Poof. Burning Man. Hey, and hippies are garbage. Indeed. So, Whoa. ladies and gentlemen, uh, that is all that I have for you today uh, on the great Jesus. and glorious rise. Of VHS. Jesus fuck, we got no lies. It was so dense. It I'm was interesting. Say... I'm giving you. I, I, I'm sure all you all have bullshit. stabs, but I'm giving you partial credit on one, John. So, um, I wrote down one stab, and that was that you're saying that people were going and getting like second jobs to afford VHSs. But knowing how much people love media, I didn't stab because I, if I, I like movies, and if I was living in a time where that was like my enjoyment and that was like my thing, I would, I would find a way to afford it yep no that is uh for real lifted straight from this documentary they're saying there were folks that specifically went and got second jobs to afford a vcr what's my partial credit uh we'll get there let's let everybody take their stabs fuck i have none useful stabs (laughs) none useful stabs (laughs) what are you two um did spielberg really say that he wasn't gonna ever release et to video yep okay sure did um, the other one was specifically to do with the porn industry. You mentioned that the people running the video stores were the ones that were having the lawsuits, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And my understanding of the time is it was more the production companies that were dealing with lawsuits or, or is your research state so otherwise? It's, 
it does start there, but the the research does say that they were also actually going so far as to litigate individuals that they apprehended renting pornography. So, like, they were trying to get granular with it, which is why it's like, and a large portion of this is with the UK, specifically. Uh, Yeah, and UK is typically a lot more sensory when it comes to these sort of things. And again, that was kind of in a section that I was synopsizing, so I probably glossed over that point, but a large portion of the censorship was occurring in the UK. Uh, there's a great deal more restrictive than they were in the U.S. In the U.S., they just tried to kind of like buy the market share by forcing the niche stuff out and just sort of outlawing it passively. But in the U.K., they actually went so far as to like restrict it, restrict its sale and eventually restrict its production, which is why they actually forced people to have to start reproducing these things and distributing it on their own. So you got this underground wave of people making duplicate tapes and then uh, sending them out. Okay. So similar, but yeah. So you're you're correct in a, in a in as far as like I was vague about it when I talked about it. Anything else? I got nothing. Okay. Well, let's roll through these bloody things, <laughs> shall we? Yes, please. So, um Dr. Michael, I issue my apology in oh, advance. No. He did a number line. Oh shit. I told you when we had this discussion that I was reserving the right no. for a future date to use a number lie because oh, I had man. one that I had already Fuck put in place man. because I've lulled you into a false sense of security by getting Ooh. on my high horse and saying <sighs> I don't use them. So um, Damn. technically, and this is, I undersold it, which is what's even funnier. So I said that they cost $750 when they were originally released. If it's seven, they actually cost $1,200 brand new. Whoa. So again, Shit. if you're making a hundred bucks a week, you are really, and that's why I was laughing at John doing the folks getting a second job. Cause yeah, it actually was 1200 bucks to get it. You needed yeah. another job. Goddamn. Damn. Wow. So I, I wanted to undersell a little bit because I could not grapple with that number. I was like, how the hell can you get away with charging $1,200 for a freaking video cassette? But again, it's brand new, new technology. technology. Yeah. The same thing yeah. is like, why would you charge two grand for an iPhone? Yep. Anyhow, yeah. so that's line number one. Line number two is... um. So Leprechaun does exist, and Leprechaun did take place in Arizona. They did not set up large banks of beta machines for folks to come in and uh, swap videos. Uh, I just figured a I picked out a con where I could wheedle this in. Nice. But folks did actually go to conventions to tape swap and dupe things, but uh, I made up the whole thing about them making it a proprietary thing of the convention. And I did use the actual committee chair for that year, for 1979, to give myself the authentic flair. So Ken St. Andre was in fact the person, but he had nothing to do with it. Oh my god. Uh, And I will say... Was there any... re-recordings going on? <laughs> not, I, I, not at Leprechaun that I'm aware of. You just uh, hurt Michael so what much. What is Leprechaun all about? Like, Well, no, because I was all like, yeah, that's what they did. They used to do this but stuff. But they did, and they just not here. And all this other stuff. And just not in the way that he presented, but there, it did exist. Yeah, so <laughs> usually, yeah, how this started is folks would just bring tapes, and they would have tapes. 
So in the same, they wouldn't actually, you know, run and dupe. It was just, I have seven copies of this. If you want these episodes of Star Trek, I can give you this tape. And then eventually they got to the point where that was so popular that some conventions actually would set up or allow folks to bring in their VCRs and dupe tapes. But yeah, this was not something sponsored by the con that they did because it was so popular. So. (laughs) He's so broken. I'm disappointed in myself. uh, You're. Man, I love uh, how he looks that You broken. know, that's part of the joy of this. <laughs> Just being disappointed. Now, here you go. This is the half credit <laughs> I'm giving to both John and Michael because you were in the right place, but for the wrong reasons. So the thing that Sony got upset about was not an ad saying, now you can have happy days and never miss a moment of MASH. Uh, it's a little more ridiculous than that. The actual ad was, now you don't have to miss Columbo when you're watching Kojak. <laughs> Oh, my God. Gross. Yeah. But all of these were universal properties. And uh, that's where I was I was waiting for all of you to rear your ugly heads at the fact that it was so uh, universal suing over properties from Paramount and Fox. Gotcha. Like, why would they oh give God, a fuck? Oh, my God. You even said that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that but, would mean uh, that we would have so... to be smart people. No, that would mean that we'd have to be pay- paying attention to yeah, what he's saying. Yeah, smart people pay attention, Michael. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing that smart people do. Fair told enough. Me. You all have done this to me on many occasions, <laughs> and I've been angry at myself for not more closely scrutinizing. And we do oh, get yeah. carried away with being funny, and we don't pay attention to the little granular shit. So I decided to No, go that's for how it. a lot of my lies are written, mm-hmm. where it's like, well, if you were paying attention to every single word I said, then you might have <laughs> caught it. Which tried to listen to you talking. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But yes, uh, I also hated that line when I read it. I was like, really? That was the billboard that got them sued for multi-millions was you don't have to miss Columbo when you're watching Kojak. Yeah, you did a lot. You actually used two better. properties that people might actually care about. Well, no, the way that he like said it, like because the way that they worded it, oh, you could be watching X when you're actually watching Y. Mm-hmm. Like, now you can have happy days. When you're watching, like it actually is part of the context of the sentence that they're saying. Mm-hmm. It's not just yeah. I'm 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 X, decent y. at turning a, a you know a phrase from time to time. That is true. Thank you. I appreciate it. It, it is known. All right, uh, number four, John. I'm sorry. I'm gonna break your little pee picking heart here. <laughs> he and furthermore, um, I, all that bluster from Courtney about her just having listened to a podcast about this. Uh, Sony did not at all ban pornography. They wow. actually did publish porn on Betamax. So it is actually a an urban legend that pornography is solely the thing that turned the tide in that battle. That's actually the reason I got into the formatting discussion is that it really was that it was just cheaper to produce VHS and it was better quality. So pornography, while it was kind of like a tastemaker and it, there was more material available for you on VHS if you wanted to get porn, it really was not the tail of the tape for that. That is just something that's kind of like held in suburban lore. Okay. Now I have to ask, did you know this when you were initially teasing this topic? No. Okay. So you genuinely thought this myth was true. Mm-hmm. Like okay, many, because it's I... often talked about. It's yeah, one of the yeah, dividing yeah, okay. things between um Blu-ray and uh what was the other? HD H- DVD. H- HD DVD. Yes. yes so yeah. it's kind because of co-opted. That was... 
that was the context that led into this idea because you have teased this topic mm-hmm. before. Um, and you mentioned that exactly. So I thought going when you mentioned it, that that was the true case. So it, that's why I had to ask mm-hmm. if you knew that going in or if it was a long seated lie I, that you knew going all the I way I did back. not. Uh, so it was uh, one okay. a happy accident that occurred. So moving on. To lie number five. And you were incredulous about it, so I was amazed you didn't get a little more angry, Michael. Uh, The last film that was ever released specifically to VHS was not The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. It was actually A History of Violence, another Viggo Mortensen uh, film in 2006. How interesting. Oh, okay. And I was disappointed by that, so I was like, fuck this, I'm going to make this a little bit more poetic and uh, make it Peter Jackson. Why the fuck not? And uh, I'll be honest, I, I you haven't seen him have any. no yeah, idea what else. Yeah. No, I know who he is, <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't know what else he's done. Aragorn. Oh. I know that's the actor. I don't Apparently, know you're not a Hidalgo fan. Else. Moving on. Damn, I forgot about nope. that movie. All right. And line number six, so Ugh. we can wrap this bloody burrito up in style. That quote was not from Quentin Tarantino. It is actually a montage of a bunch of random assholes spouting off on how they feel like it is a cultural, uh, cultural zeitgeist of you know existing in the small video store sort of mentality and how all of them finally found themselves by being invested in, in living in video stores. And so I was like, I got to make this more interesting than just a string of sentences thrown together by a bunch of random idiots. And so there Hell you go. Yeah. Good. That was a good lie. I almost asked about that, but I was like, I don't know Tarantino. I don't know what he's into. He he might <laughs> said that. I don't know. Well, you still spurred the uh, Tarantino Shapiro debate, so I'm I'm okay with it. I I, I prefer oh, the lie. He's so great. <laughs> we could just talk about feet all day, three hour episode. It's what we're here for. Well, there you go, folks. Thank you for going. This is what happens when you uh, you hold me off for this long, and I I don't make an episode. I I have to just you know. Get the shotgun blast two-hour episode out of the way. And then we're gonna... say, Michael only if needs you one don't, burst. If you don't work it out, you'll explode. That's what I've heard. Yeah, and, and it's and so. it's all to your your person. You know, so Michael he only needs one shotgun blast a month, <laughs> and Shane needs a couple a day, maybe three or an hour, <laughs> or literally right now. You never know. He be dumping. I don't want to say hand check. I don't. I don't. <laughs> You're not going to see my hands. They're busy. I sneezed, I swear. <laughs> I drank milk earlier. <laughs> I can't see anything. There's just a, a thin white film over your camera. My eyes! <laughs> I'm blind. All right, Captain, it's come. so oh salty. <laughs> I've been assaulted. I really right. love um, that you focus so Buckets much. Buckets are come? No, um, that you focused on Blockbuster because the story that won last week at the Moth was about Blockbuster, <gasps> and I will co-opt it and just Little tell gasp. the story because it was so funny. Um, I don't remember the guy's name. Started with a J. So if he ever hears this, your story was really funny, which is why I'm going to repeat it. <laughs> I almost said um, jizz, but I like Josefa better. But. The guy telling the story, he lived on the East Coast and he was saving up for his wedding and he got a second job and it was a blockbuster. And he was older than the manager. He was older than all the kids he worked with. Like, he was just like the dad of the store. 
story of my life. <laughs> and so he got he's working a Saturday shift. It's one of his last shifts because he's getting married in a couple weeks. And Saturday morning is supposed to be the easy time. Like everybody's already got their movies for the weekend. Like everybody's hanging out. But it had happened that The Sixth Sense had been released to VHS the Tuesday before. So people like were rushing to the store trying to get a copy. So this guy comes in on the Saturday morning and he's like, I want to rent The Sixth Sense. And he's like, sorry, dude, like all of our copies are out. Like we can call you when we get one in. And he's like, well, it says guaranteed. Like you have it because that was their whole marketing thing with the time was it was guaranteed to have it or your next rental was free if you read the fine print. And so the guy was like, no, I'm going to wait. And he's like, okay, but like it's Saturday at 10. Like we just opened. I don't know when it's going to be in. And so this guy is just pacing around the store. He's being nasty to the teenagers working there. Um, Every time a video would go into the return, he'd be like, what is it? Go get it. What is it? And so the guy telling the story, he's like, I'm a nice, friendly guy. I try to spread joy. And I was just like, you know what, man? Like, give me your number. Like, I'll call you. I swear. Like, you'll be the first one. No, I'm not leaving. Okay, great. And so other people come to the store. This is like, it sounded like a couple hours. And they were also looking for the sixth sense. So the guy starts a mob of like, they said they would have it and they don't have it. Straight out of clerks. (laughs) Yeah, he's the Chulies gum representative (laughs) of this glorious blockbuster. And so finally, kaklunk, the video comes in and they're like, hey, man, like it's here, like you can rent it, whatever. And so the guy goes to hand him the tape. He says, I really hope you enjoy this. He's dead the whole time and hands him the video. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) 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 Fucking and I, Man. and that's why the story won, right? Because that's fucking hilarious. But just the way his delivery—I bet the guy does stand up. But it was so good, and just yeah, that's a mic drop. Oh, oh, beautiful! Fantastic. Drop me, daddy. Uh, God so damn, be nice to delivery. frontline workers. Be nice to hourly workers. Obviously, sure. or else they'll spoil a uh, six cents. Or to put you. pineapple on your pizza, right, Shane? <laughs> Or make fun of the pornography that you try to buy. <laughs> really, you're watching this one? The sequel's better. Just just letting you know. Skip to four minutes and 37 seconds. The first few minutes is just crap. Just filler. That's the best scene. It's just... <laughs> I, As someone who's never managed to filler before, Michael, I'm sure that it's an alien concept for you. That's why I couldn't complete whatever I was trying to say. I'm sure. Well, since I almost died during this episode from smoke inhalation, (laughs) uh, I would call this one a labor of love, friends. And I've got the alarm to prove it. But uh, if you are also alarmed by what happened here, you should go show us a little love on your preferred uh, social networking. You can find that in our little link tree below. And of course, if you're digging what you hear here, you should like and subscribe and give us a little review wherever you would like to because we would love to hear from you. Also, uh, please go show a little love to our YouTube materials as well as Courtney doing the Dark Lord's work over on the TikTok. You can hear Michael do a disgusting French accent. All right. Well, I. And Michael, maybe will send me a video that I've been owed for a week and a half. Oh. And then we'll have a new TikTok. Wow. Thanks for making me feel way better about when I procrastinate on things. I was like, yeah, we also are far past that being an appropriate trend. So. Good job, Michael. 
You're doing terrific. What can I say? I kill things. I just fucking kill things. Yeah, you do. Sinked it. Like bees. You inhumane bastard. You monster. Well, uh, let's wrap this rascal up like Nicolas Cage's head in the wicker man right before the bees get him. Uh, So for the disinformed fucking podcast this week... I'm sorry, I'll clean that up. We've got to be a little bit better than this. <laughs> For the Disinformed Podcast this week, I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm Michael. And I'm Courtney. <laughs> Notices outro. What's this? <laughs> well, then fine. Allow me to actually do this professionally for once. Oh, no. In a world... Where you can't end a podcast episode, you have to occasionally say, Zippity Zoop, we're out of here.